This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, episode 48, and I'm pleased to introduce, that's going to be on my show, the everyday hunter for this month is Melissa Robinson. Uh, Melissa is the driver behind the uh, Shooters and Fishers Party's women's branch. Uh, she lived, currently lives in uh, Port Macquarie with her husband and a couple of children. She loves to hunt and shoot. She reckons she's not a great fisherman, but she loves to get out there and give it a try. Uh, she's also a native of New Zealand. And when I originally spoke to Melissa, I did actually say I wasn't, generally if I haven't spoken to guests previously, uh, some guests, you know, if I've written out 20 questions beforehand, uh, some people have done like a 35, 40 minute interview and they've only answered five or six questions, uh, where other people, I'm, I'm through the whole 25 questions in about 25 minutes and I'm thinking, well, where do I go from here? So I wasn't, I was a little bit hesitant uh, interviewing Melissa as I, as I told her over the phone, but I tell you what, this is one of the best, I think, female uh, podcasts I've actually done. And given I've only had a few, I've only had Diana Mellum. Uh, the executive director from the Sporting Shooters Association of Australia. And I'm going to be getting more women on the show, but uh, Melissa articulates what hunting and shooting means to her very, very well. And I had a great time talking to Melissa. I, I really enjoyed this podcast. It's probably one of the better uh, everyday hunter podcasts that I've done. I really enjoyed talking to her. And I think she enjoyed coming on the show as well. Uh, it was absolutely Fantastic. Uh, we just recorded our first episode of the Straight Shooting Podcast, me and Mars or Mario Vlatko, who's going to be my co-host on the show. Uh, I'm currently just waiting for my designer to design the new logo. Uh, we've had a couple of different logos that's been presented on the Facebook page. Uh, some I was happy with, some I'm not happy with. Um, hopefully we can work out the revisions sometime this week and get that podcast up very soon. Uh, if you don't know what the Straight Shooting Podcast is, it's going to be news, media, politics, web, current affairs, everything to do with firearms laws. Uh, categories, fire, your firearms categories, what it means to be a hunter, uh, conservation versus the freedom and the or what we think is the human right to be able to hunt, shoot uh, and fish. So definitely a lot of hard-hitting topics. And as I said to Mario the other day, uh, we definitely need about four or five epi uh, episodes before we just start you know, relaxing and feeling comfortable in this new role. As I said, when I interview guests, normally it takes, you know, it's I don't do much of the talking, so it's been a lot of... Uh, change for me as well and Mario as well but I'm sure after you know five or six episodes we'll be settled in and uh, there'll be a definitely uh, a structure I think to the show so I'm really looking forward so look forward to the straight shooting podcast uh, it's still going to be under the Australian hunting podcast so again you don't need to do anything different you can go on the website they'll be listed on the website uh, it'd also be on iTunes as well uh, so you don't need to you know, start searching for another podcast or anything like that or another website. It's definitely going to be all on the AustralianHuntingPodcast.com.au website. Lots more coming up on the Australian Hunting Podcast. Obviously, we're going to have more episodes of The Everyday Hunter. We're going to have more guests. I'm just waiting for a time to interview Rick Mazza, uh, Shooters and Fishers Parties, WA, uh, MLC. Uh, looking forward to speaking to Ricks. That's going to be coming up soon. Lots of Everyday Hunter, lots of straight shooting podcasts every fortnight. Lots to come here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. And this, uh, the month of January, 
we got over 30,000 downloads for the whole entire library in a four-week period. So to me, that's absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate everyone that downloads the show. I know sometimes people have got a lot of different opinions than me, and uh, that's what makes this podcast and also the hunting, shooting, and fishing industry what it is today and gives people a different perspective on a lot of different things. So fantastic. So as usual, you guys know, visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Go on the website. You can contact us. Donate, please, right-hand side, begging you guys. (laughs) On the right-hand side widget bar, you can see the donation link. Uh, If you go on the Facebook page also, too, we do have our... Uh, stickers now, uh, our Australian Hunting Podcast stickers. Uh, click on the link and uh, follow through. You can get as many as you like. Again, just please allow uh, 10 days for delivery. Uh, I just took a shipment of 100 stickers and I don't, actually I've only got about probably 25 or 26 left, I think. I've still got a couple to ship out. Uh, they went on sale last Wednesday. Uh, the first shipment is going to go out uh, probably on the 13th or 14th of February. So please allow 10 days delivery if you've uh, bought some of those Australian hunting podcast stickers and thank you very much put them on your gun safe put them on your car they're die cut laser stickers so they look absolutely fantastic on the car and you can go on the Facebook page to check out what they look like Uh, it's one of the top posts on the Facebook page uh, if you want to, again, obviously Australian Hunting Podcast on Facebook, and if you want to follow us on Twitter, AH Podcast. Sometimes I have a bit of a love affair uh, with Twitter, and then I'll go off it for about three weeks and won't even touch it. So just follow our feed on Twitter, AH Podcast. Uh, if you want to email me, Australian Hunting Podcast at gmail.com or go to australianhuntingpodcast.com.au and click on the contact icon if you want to join us uh, and send us some correspondence that's always appreciated as usual you can jump on itunes anyone with an iphone ipad jump on itunes download the podcast Uh, you can put it on automatic subscription so every time one becomes available uh, it is automatically downloaded to itunes if you don't have itunes obviously go on the website at the bottom of every new blog post uh, uh, episode Uh, There is a link there to listen to the podcast, so please jump on the website. And also, rate us five stars, leave a comment on iTunes. If you listen to us now, please jump on there. I think we've got you know, 40 or 55 stars, two or three four stars, and one three stars. Thankfully, no two or one stars yet, and hopefully the new podcast, Straight Shooting, won't give us one or two stars. But again, just let us get into the new show. Uh, so we're on Stitcher.com, as usual. You can, If you're anywhere in the world and you don't have access to iTunes, jump on Stitcher with a Wi-Fi to search Australian Hunting Podcast, and you can listen to us on Stitcher. As always, share the AHP with your friends and family. If you can, that'll be always appreciated. And we're going to be doing some advertisements soon for some companies. So if you want to advertise on the show, like a 30-second uh, advertisement during the podcast, please send me an email. Again, AustralianHuntingPodcast at gmail.com. Again, donations are always important. Mentioned that before. We just spent a lot of money on the new gear for the podcast uh, to do the straight shooting podcast. And uh, it was great having Mario here over on Thursday night to record the new show. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We made a few blunders, uh, a few mistakes, but that's cool. That's what it's all about. It's only a new podcast. As always, the whole 30,000 listeners of the Australian Hunting Podcast in January. I thank everyone that listens to this show. Uh, I know there's people out there that, that never email me, that listen to the show and, and love the show. And you know, for those guys that I'll probably never hear from or probably never see on the Facebook page, thank you, thank you very, very much uh, for downloading the show and contributing to this wonderful podcast. I appreciate it very, very much. 
Again, I've got to do my signature sign-off as usual. You know, I'm making it a bit of a cult thing now because someone heckled me uh, previously about my <laughs> outro uh, into the show. So I guess without further ado, let's get into my interview, The Everyday Hunter with Melissa Robinson. Hi, this is Melissa Robinson. I'm an Everyday Hunter and you are listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Melissa Robinson, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for coming to the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on here. No worries. So I guess uh, uh, we've got this new segment, The Everyday Hunter. So I guess tell us about yourself, uh, whether you hunt, shoot and fish or everything in between and also how you got into hunting and shooting. I hunt and I shoot. I am, however, a most terrible fisher. Uh, hopefully one day I can change that, but for now I reckon two out of three of them isn't too bad. Um, I've been in Australia for almost 10 years now. I grew up in fairly rural New Zealand, down on the lower east coast of the North Island in the Wairapa. Have you been there at all? No, I haven't actually, no, no. I've got a a friend that lives in Lower Hutt. I don't even know where it is, but I know that much. Yeah, that's probably (laughs) about an hour or so away. It's good. So, so yeah, I grew up fairly rural in the Wairapa, um, great deer hunting country. Um, So it's not really anything I thought of in the respect of getting into it, it's just always been there. I don't ever remember a time where hunting wasn't a completely normal thing for us, so I'm quite grateful for that. You know, you'd be hard-pressed to find a generation of our family that didn't hunt. And I think most families, even if none of them hunt now, you go back even just a couple of generations and you find the same thing. There's, there's, you just hunt. If you don't hunt, you don't eat. Um, when we were little kids and we were too young to go out on a hunt, you know, there was still the excitement of Dad getting ready for the roar, listening to him out in the shed. He'd be practicing on his horn, making those awful noises, and <laughs> yeah. watching him watching him pack all his gear. And then there'd be the wait for him to come back days later with his mates that he went out with. And you know, that they'd, they'd stink to high heaven and they'd be filthy, but we'd all just be really excited. So even though we weren't out there, we were still a part of the the whole hunting experience. Um, you know, I quite often say to people, we, we didn't have Xboxes and iPads, we had an air <laughs> rifle in a paddock. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you practiced in the paddock with an air rifle and we used to stick bits and pieces of stuff up on top of the besser blocks and we'd go for it. And, you know, when you proved yourself out there, you'd graduate to bunnies and possums because, you know, in New Zealand you're allowed to shoot the possums. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Not allowed to do that here. I have to remind myself, don't shoot the possums. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> firearms and hunting, you know, they've always been normal to me and I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that. I have a respect for the firearm as the tool that it is. It was never this, you know, exciting novelty thing. It was just, a, it's a firearm whoop de doo it's a firearm, and I've got a res- respect and a responsibility to the land that I do hunt on. Um, I took a big break when I moved over here to Australia about 10 years ago, like I said. Um, things got a bit hectic, you know, I got married and was seemingly constantly pregnant. <laughs> so four kids later, it's um, time for me to get back into it. You know, the, the niggle of got to get back into it just started and it, it just didn't go away. I knew that I'd been out of it for long enough and had to do something. So I um, started doing a bit of research and found a local hunting club and began the process of getting my firearms licenses all over again. 
which was a, a bit, um, yeah, I thought I'd go, may as well go all out and I started the process of getting my Category A and my Category B and I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll go for Category H as well, may as well do the whole lot. So I put in the application <laughs> for the handgun licence. I'd never done pistol shooting before. So I thought, well, may as well give it a go. And, um, yeah, starting all those applications, that's when I became quite apparent that there's quite a bit of a difference between Australia and New Zealand. <laughs> are your family still in New Zealand? I mean, what brought you to yeah, Australia? Yeah, they, they are all in New Zealand. I married an Australian man, and he refused to have all black babies, so we had to come <laughs> over here. And then I proceeded to give him three daughters and one son. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yep. good. No, interesting stuff. No, I guess, yeah. So what did you, so what sort of, um, so you got here and then what, was your husband a shooter as well? Not really, or was it foreign to him? No, or he, he does a little all? bit of archery. Yep. Um, but he's not really into the guns so much. But yeah, he does the archery. So it's it's a good little tag team. Yeah, so speaking of that, that's a good question. Uh, you know, how did, how did when you eventually brought that situation up, was it just normal for him? He was like, yep, no problem. Was there tension? It's always interesting to find out about, you know, the uh, couple's environment, especially when people, even that I know, they've brought up shooting to their significant others and either it's been, meh, not a problem, or people have been, you know, you're not having guns in my house, period, if you want this relationship to work. And it's quite of an interesting thing. So how did you go about it and what was yours like? Look, it was really good with Jason. I mean, his um, his dad has lived on property, so you know they had a firearm at the house for yeah, you know just for feral control on their property. So it's it wasn't anything that was a really new experience for him. He was actually really supportive of it, and he was really keen for me to get out and have something that was a real source of enjoyment for me, and that was actually going to be a practical thing for me to get back into as well. So he was really really supportive of it. His mates at work gave him a bit of stick about it. Oh, you're letting the missus have a gun, you know? <laughs> yeah. but he was like, what do you mean I'm letting her? I don't let her do anything. Yeah. What century is this? So, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was really, really good about it. Yeah. Good. Very lucky. Yeah, uh, good stuff. Always good to hear different opinions from uh, different couples. It's always uh, interesting, I can tell you. Uh, so you started up the uh, shooters just recently, actually. I do a fair bit of stuff with the Shooters and Fishers Party. I did a bit of filming for them recently. I know you set up the uh, Shooters and Fishers Party women's branch. So how did that come about and how did you get that organised? Well, when I lived over in New Zealand, I never had much, I mean, I've always had a real interest in politics, but the politics and the hunting for me never really came together because it just wasn't necessary back then. But it became quite apparent to me over here that it, you really do have to be um, have your political wits about you and, and get involved. And I just saw that there was a real, a real niche sort of market there that, that needed to be filled for the women. I mean, we've got a lot of fantastic women out there, so... I thought it would be great and a better way to what better way to smash a few stereotypes down. I'm really excited for the um the potential that the women's branch of the Shooters and Fishers Party has. So it'll be interesting to to see it grow and see what, what kind of amazing women we, we get out there in the spotlight. Absolutely. What about your friends? You know, you obviously you've made new friends over here in Australia as well, I can I can assume. So what did your girlfriends think or people that you may work with or people that just you know, just in your local community that may know you? A lot of them have been uh, quite surprised, obviously because I took a big break and wasn't involved. My main circle of social interaction was kind of, you know, the, the babies group and the play group and mother's yeah, group yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So, hey, I'm out shooting now. <laughs> I that. Oh, yeah. you know, 
it was a bit of a oh, but um, yeah, people have been really, really supportive, and there's been some really fantastic conversations that have come out of it. A lot of people have been surprised, but it's been very, very good. I've been most impressed with people's reactions overall, and you know, I even got a couple of new members out of it, so it's good. Yeah, good stuff. Excellent. Just talk about, I mean, obviously this is a, a, a male, I'd say a male-dominated uh, sport, culture, hobby, whatever you'd like to call it, a way of life, you might say. So what's different, say, about uh, being a woman that hunts and shoots? Look, there's really not much that's different at all, except that uh, in competition shoots, we're scored differently. So, you know, like, say for the, the pistol shoots, the women will be scored at a 400 and the men will be scored at a 600. So, you know, you go on different lists. There's the men's scoring and the women's scoring. That's really the only difference. Other than that, you know, give my size, being petite, I can't carry out as much as the bigger blokes, but that's really about it. But, you know, even little guys hunt too, so it's not really a gender difference. It's just a I'm a small person difference. <laughs> um, shooting and hunting and fishing, archery, you've got your dirt bikers, your four-wheel driving, it's really, it's a great equaliser between the genders and it's it's that aspect of it I really appreciate it's quite enjoyable yeah it's good and there's nothing better than sitting down at the at the bench and having people say oh what calorie are you shooting and then going 306 and watching their eyebrows shoot up over the back of their forehead <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly um, you know is it hard to speaking at being at the range you know a lot of men hanging around uh, you know is it hard to say integrate with other men at the range being a woman that's a question that needs to be handled a little bit diplomatically, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, this show's um, never diplomatic, I can tell you, so you can say whatever you like, whatever you like. Look, for the most part, it's easy. It's not a problem. But, you know, most of the time, I'm the only woman at the range. You've got to get used to it. You've just got to get used to it. You're stepping into a heavily male-dominated area, and that's just the way it is. You've just got to get used to it, and um, the guys have got to get used to it as well. It took them a little bit to realise that they didn't have to change for me and I'm not expecting them to change for me either. If they want to drop a swear word, they don't have to automatically stop and apologise to me. I don't care, don't change for me, just do what you want to do. Um, so yeah, does gender come into it? Yeah, it does. Should it? No, but it's just human nature. It's just human nature and you've just got to try not to be too sensitive about it as well. I mean, a lot of the time at the range you're dealing with a, a you know, a generation one or two above above you as well. So um, there's a difference between a gentleman showing good manners and a bit of respect and a bit of old school chivalry. There's a difference between that and someone treating you in a sexist manner. So, you know, if someone offers to carry your gear back to your car, you know, just don't be too quick to mouth off at them. Just a polite... You know, thanks, that's nice of you, but I'm actually fine. And, and introduce yourself if you haven't already, you know. I've had guys offer to stand behind me and hold my shoulders because they were concerned that I was going to fall off the back of my chair when I fired <laughs> the gun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've had um, people, oh, I've had guys offer to carry my staff and offer to carry my targets out, and it's all really polite. They're all just being really polite. They weren't being nasty about it. They were just being nice. Yeah, they might think it's their lucky day, you know, but the, yeah. until they find out you're married, they're like, oh, no. You know? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Just take it in a light-hearted manner and everything's going to be fine, you know. Start up some conversations, make some new friends, you know. I've learned heaps from these guys. There's a wealth of information out there. Just don't be shy. Just talk to them. Talk to them. No, you'll be fine. Yeah, good stuff. So... 
Let's get into what do you think uh, some of the pros uh, of being a woman that hunts and shoots? Oh, look, I love being able to completely smash people's stereotype of what they think the typical firearm owner and hunter looks like. I love that part of it. You know, the the stay-at-home mum that volunteers in a church playgroup and does the school bus run, it just... It really doesn't fit what the greenies would have the Australian general public believe, you know. We've got some phenomenal women out there doing amazing things in Australia, you know, with more talent than I could ever hope to have. Um, They're just doing what they do, whether it's hunting or fishing, they're just doing what they need to do on the land. You see there's a few articles that have come out in the media and there's been heaps of stuff. You see a lot of stuff on on Facebook and Twitter. It's It's a great forum to get stuff out there. We've got some great women out, and because they're women, they're a bit more of a, a novelty factor to it when the media's concerned, so you've got more chance almost of getting them in the paper than if it was a guy because it's the novelty factor, and almost they try and sometimes, especially the greenies, try and put forward that, oh, women probably shouldn't be doing this man stuff sort of slant on it, but it's <laughs> not working anymore. People are wising up to it. You know, you've got... Yeah, just a few weeks ago, there was a young archer from Cessnock. I think she was like 18 years old, and she's ranked up at the top of Aussie's archers. You know, you've got Letitia Scanlon and Catherine Skinner winning gold and silver in World Cup events, and, you know, you've got the International Coalition for Women in Shooting and Hunting putting out amazing stuff. You know, people just don't realise that women are really quite a powerful force, and we're here to stay. Yeah, I was thinking about getting her on my show too, Samara McFedrin. Yeah, I was thinking about getting her. I might, that's something I might follow up. I should follow up on, yeah. Oh, but. she's got some brilliant stuff on her website, the WISH website, WISH website, Women in Shooting and Hunting. Yeah, that's right. I see WISH, I think. International Coalition, I think it is, yeah. Women. Yes. That's right. Fine, but let's go on the flip side then. What are you know, some of the cons about being a woman that hunts and shoots? My biggest peeve would probably be (laughs) when people assume that just because I'm a female that I want stuff that's pink. I don't. I really, really, really don't want pink. I don't do pink. That's great if you do, girls out there that are listening, but I don't do pink. Um, It's hard to find shoes and clothes that fit. You know, I like to try stuff on or, or at least touch it before I buy it, especially shoes. And when you're a slightly built woman, some of the smaller guys' stuff just, just doesn't fit. Um, I make it work, though. I mean, you've got to do what you've got to do. I go to army surplus stores and I get the sewing machine out. And, yeah, hopefully one day I'll make it to some of the bigger stores. But, yeah, if anyone wants to send me stuff to try, I'll definitely spruik your stuff online, too, that's for sure. That's right, so long <laughs> as it's not pink. As long as it's not pink. But, yeah, that's really the only um, downside that, that I can find, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, good stuff. And I know we'll talk about reactions before, but let's talk about some of the reactions when, you know, as you said, driving the you know, the bus or going to the church play group or whatever it may be, and people find out you've done all these things and then, you know, they might find out in a conversation that you're a shooter. <laughs> What's, are there any words said? If so, what is said? Or is it more of a, you know, automatic straightaway silence? Give me some sort of things that have happened to you since, uh, you know, people have, yeah, you know, it's come up in conversation that you're a shooter. Yeah, sure. Look, it can be a real conversation starter. 
But then on the flip side, it can also be a real Killer. conversation stopper. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you get the occasional, the eyebrows will go back, go straight up, and you'll get that, that awkward, oh, with that really even more awkward silence at the end of it. And you get a lot of people look at you and they go, oh, you don't look anything like a hunter. I'm like, what does a hunter look like? <laughs> Big and mean and evil. Yeah, it goes back to that stereotype that the guy, the, the Greens would have you believe. You know, you're all all hunters, are overweight blokes and gum boots and a Bond singlet and a ripped, you know, hat and holding a beer. You know, and that's completely inaccurate. So um, yeah, I get a lot of people. You know, I can't. You know, you don't look anything like a hunter. And oh, I can't believe you shoot guns. Um, it's not something I go grab bragging about it, but I don't hide it either. I talk about it just matter-of-factly. It's a part of a normal conversation, whether I'm at the store or I'm at playgroup, I'm at, I'm at church. Doesn't doesn't worry me, you know. I don't go bowling up to people going, hey, guess what, I've got guns at home. But um, if someone asks me, you know, oh, how was your weekend, what did you get up to, then it's going to come up in conversation. I won't hide it out because normally our weekend will include you know, one of, you know, being in the bush, whether it's camping or hunting or, you know, a combination of both or, or I've been to the range or I've done something else, you know, gone and bought me a new gun or something. I'm going to talk about it like it's a completely normal thing to do because it is a completely normal thing to do. And we're doing ourselves a disservice by by hiding it because that reinforces that it's not normal and it is normal. So, I mean... The only time I thought I was going to get something really negative happen was um, a mum came up, she was dropping her daughter off for a sleepover and she took me aside and said, look, um, I hear you have guns in the house. And I thought, <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, here, we go. <laughs> here we go. And, you know, and I'm all prepared, you know, I had, I've, you know, because it's the first time it's happened and we you know with kids You've been in waiting for this school. moment, haven't you? I know, you? I've been waiting <laughs> for this moment, you know, I've got two kids in primary school now and, you know, tons of sleepovers and this is the first time that, that anybody has asked me and I'm all prepared with the, the speech that I've, you know, rehearsed in my head about safe storage and I've got more concerns about my kid going to your house with your unsecured kitchen knives on your bench and, <laughs> you go. know I've got the whole thing rehearsed and ready to go and I'm excited someone's finally raised it up <laughs> and it turns out that her husband had asked her to ask me whether I recommended bolt action or lever action oh yeah yeah. <laughs> what did so you say? Hang on, what did you say first? What did you say? <laughs> I said it's personal preference, buy one of each. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> if you can't, if you, can't if you don't, can't pick one, just buy both of them. Just buy both of them. <laughs> but actually, speaking of that, too, one question I've got for you, too. Talking about, oh, you've got uh, children. So what's your plans in the future? Obviously, I, mean, I know you sent me a couple of photos I'm using the podcast, and I saw... Uh, one of your children in the photo. So what's your plans on, uh, do you plan on you know, uh, bringing them into the hunting lifestyle? And, uh, yeah. Look, they're already in the hunting lifestyle. They just don't fire guns yet. That's the way I look at it. Yep. Um, they come out with us on hunting trips, you know, but it's just my husband that stays back at camp while I go out. And, you know, they, they're they there for the experience. They know exactly what we're doing. They know why we're doing it. Um, we teach them gun safety. So, you know, she, my seven-year-old and especially is very exciting. You know, she's always keen to sit there and watch me take apart stuff and clean it and, you know, put guns back together and, 
you know, she can tell the difference between there are quite a few different caliber shells. You know, she'll know just from picking it up what caliber it is. And so there, you know, she's happy to help out with, um, you know, skinning stuff and butchering it up and packaging stuff up. And so they're already really in the hunting lifestyle. They just haven't actually taken anything themselves yet. Um, my nine-year-old's a bit of a princess. I'm not entirely sure how that happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, she would. Honest, I, I, it's quite horrifying, really. I mean, she she would rather go hungry than eat game meat. She's happy to eat meat that comes from the supermarket, but if she knows that it's something that I've taken myself, she would honestly rather go hungry. I don't get it. And yet, the other one is not a problem. And the other two are too young to really make it make any decision for themselves yet, anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. So we'll just have to see how it goes. You know, my my seven year old is she's you know already you know five years until I can get my firearms license, Mum. She's already on the countdown. She can't wait. So they're already in the hunting lifestyle, and that that's my plan. I don't want them to be. Um, I don't want them to be sort of all princessy about it and have it be this this new thing. I just want it to be normal. I just want it to be a normal part of life for them. That's right. And you still got weight with the one there, so your daughter's yeah, rolled there. until you know. So. Yep, she'll get there. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, what you enjoy hunting. You know, when you get because I, I know you're from the uh, Port Macquarie area. So yeah, what sort of game you got up there? How far do you normally have to travel? And what uh, yeah, game animals or feral animals do you like to hunt? Deer. Number one is deer. It just has to be. That goes back to, you know, where I grew up to. It's great deer country, deer country you know. Um, it's the whole experience. The deer hunting, you know, it brings back memories of year, got years gone by. You know, I was waiting for Dad to get back when, from the roar and excitement about one day bringing my own kids along for, for a deer hunt. It's just the beauty of it all, the, the challenge, everything. Deer, it's just everything. And you, know, you can't beat the taste of venison, can you? It's magic. It's magic. I love venison. Um, I went on my first pig hunt a couple of months ago. Yep. Totally different experience to deer hunting. I had a great time, though, and would definitely be keen to do that one again. That was a really, really different experience. Thoroughly enjoyed myself. But I really enjoy hunting whatever it is I'm hunting at the time. Um, if I'm hunting for food... I enjoy the fact that I'm putting meat in the freezer and I'm cutting down on our grocery bills. If I'm getting pests, then I'm pleased to be doing my bit for the land and, and the native animals. You know, every pest down is a pest down in my book. Um, but no, I, I enjoy hunting pretty much anything. Yeah, speaking of the game meat too, how's your husband feel? Does he enjoy eating it too, or he's a bit he iffy as well? It. Does he, he loves it. He actually likes. You know, if I had the choice between kangaroo and venison. I would choose venison, but he's the opposite. He prefers roommate. Ah, nice. Mm. <laughs> oh, no, good stuff. That's, yeah, it's good to hear. Do you, uh, I know we'll talk about before, we'll talk about, you know, pistols and stuff like that and uh, bench and rifles, but do you participate in any of the non-hunting-related activities? As you said, rifle, uh, clay targets, uh, shotgunning. What, what's, uh, what's Melissa do? Yeah, I like to go out to the rifle range and do some target shooting. It's a bit of a social event as well. You know, you catch up with people that all have similar interests. So it's good fun down there. I do like going down and doing target shooting. Um, I do some pistol shooting also. This is fun. It's all very new, having never done that over in New Zealand. Um, I'm planning on heading out to the Kempsey Club in the new year and try out that Western stuff. It sounds like they have a great time out there. I'm keen to give that a go. Um, I've tried clay shooting, which is good. I've given archery a go. Um, 
yeah, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, from time to time I get a call from a property owner to go out and put stock down for them. So, I mean, yeah, that's shooting, but it's not it's, it's not hunting. Um, there's no hunt involved in putting down injured stock and stuff like that, so it's just doing someone a service. And, um, yeah, next year I'm gonna um, I'm planning on doing some volunteering down at the rifle range. We have some... We have quite a few groups of high school kids that come and come up to the rifle range to learn shooting. So I'm going to put in some time with the high school kids, help the next generations coming up, which will be good. Absolutely. Um, well, some of my hunting trips kind of fit the category of non-hunting. I've got my seven-year-old with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's she's super keen and really enthusiastic. Like I said, she's um, she's great at getting in there with the skinning and the butchering, and she loves to eat it all. But you've got no hope of getting anything if she's in there with you. No hope. She can't stop talking. No, it doesn't matter how hard she tries. She's like, <laughs> like if you shake up a soda bottle, eventually it's it's going to burst. And she just explodes into this verbal noise bomb. So, But, yeah, so with her it's a time thing. You know, we pretend we're out hunting. It's more of a putting quality time into her. But, yeah, it's still learning, you know. We, I'm teaching her about plants and you know, picking out game trails. Can you spot the game trail? What do you think's used it? What tracks can you see? You know, she likes to photograph all the different kinds of poo she can find, and <laughs> you know, try and identify it later. And and that's cool, you know. Unless the freezer's empty and I really wanted to fill it up, it's all good. Any time that you spend out in the kids with your bush, it's time well spent. Absolutely. So let's talk about. I know you said you were shooting a thirty oh six, but I'm not sure if you own one. But what's your go-to calibers? What do you enjoy shooting? Whether it's pistol, rifle, shot, whatever you, what, you know. I guess that would probably come into what you got personally at home. But what do you enjoy, and what did you buy, or what do you enjoy? My favourite caliber, for purely nostalgic reasons, I don't own one at the moment, but is the triple two. That's what we had. That's what my dad had, and that's what we had to cut our teeth on, cut all our teeth on as, as shooters back in New Zealand. So there's a bit of sentimentality there on that one. Um, my favourite calibre that I own, however, would be the 3006. I love it. It's a sweet and flat shooter. It does the job every time, not a worry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also I like the shock value as well. No one expects me to have a 3006. No, good. I wouldn't have thought that either, to be honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I love that shock value to it. So there is that as well. But yeah, the 3006 is a phenomenal caliber. It's amazing. It's it's great. Um, if I had to pick the favorite gun that I own, it would be my 22, which is a Winchester 69A. It's a uh, it's beautiful. It's almost 60 years old, and I'm actually um, I'm redoing the stock at the moment because the previous owner tragically tragically decided to attempt to do checker work on it and um, they've failed quite miserably so I'm trying to restore it to um, somewhere near its former glory but that's a beautiful shooter as well yeah Um, yeah and then just last night I picked myself up a nice new Mosberg MVP Predator in a 223 so I'm really looking forward to taking that one out soon hopefully yeah, good stuff. The next question I ask a, a, a lot of people, and some, you know, a lot of different answers. And um, I interviewed a guy last night from Beyond the Divide, Rob Rob uh, Fickling, and uh, he, he actually came up with a good answer this one. So I wanted to think, you know, I guess there's no good or right or wrong answer, but <laughs> if you could break it down, tell us what it means to be a hunter, shooter, and fisherman in Australia, say in this 20th century. 
That is a difficult um, question, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Um, <laughs> it's a really personal question too, and I think, you know, you ask 10 people, you'll probably get 10 different answers in some form. Um, it's quite hard to define. It's, it's a good question, though. It's a really good question, and it's good to make yourself think about it because it reaffirms to yourself what you're doing as well. Um, I think it's partly to do with, with clinging to tradition and culture. It's, um, for me, it's almost like I'm fighting back against how society is so disconnected from where their food comes from and how we're, we're almost trying to be forced into being slaves to the supermarkets. Here we go on conspiracy theories. I'm good at those. Um, yeah, but you look at how many kids, they don't even know where milk comes from, let alone the meat that's on their dinner plate. So for me, it's a respect thing as well. Um, I see, personally, I see absolutely no difference between going out into the bush and foraging for some wild mushrooms and going out into the bush and getting some game meat. For me, it's it's exactly the same thing. Uh, if you're going to eat meat, I think you need to know where it came from and what it took to get on your plate. I think you need to understand that the, the journey that, that that animal took to be food for you. You can't just pretend that it wasn't once an animal and if you can't face that fact, then my challenge to people is that maybe you need to reconsider whether you should be eating meat. If you have such an emotional aversion to look at, to it, you know, look into it. You know, at least vegans and that they own their decision. You know, they've they've made that decision and they they stick to it. But if you can't even acknowledge that what's on your plate is meat and where it came from, then I think you need to to really look at it. And I I just really I respect what goes into the meat and that you know. Especially if you've had to go out and go out and get it yourself, you know you've put a lot into it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, getting into you now, we'll talk about. You said you like eating meat, but why do you? Is there one specific reason? You know, you hunt. Do you hunt for meat culture purely for conservation, removing feral animals? Because the government here, and we live in New South Wales as well. Uh, and you know the government keeps pushing, and a lot of people are pushing this conservation, and you know this is the, or this culling. This is the reason we're doing it to help out. But let's be honest, we really enjoy it, don't we? Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. Anyone that says they do it purely for conservation, I think, is lying. We do it for meat. We do it for a lot of reasons. So, what would be your few main reasons you'd do to enjoy it? Look, for all of those reasons, I do hunt for meat. I hunt for culture, and I do hunt for feral animal control. I, I think they all work in together, and they're they all. They all work together very well, you know, all of those reasons. I love being able to fill the freezer. I feel a sense of pride and achievement in what I've, what I've done. It's free-range organic meat, you know, what, what could be better? You know, culture, I, know I was raised in rural New Zealand. You don't hunt, you don't eat. We, you know, we've got a strong Scottish and Irish heritage, all fantastic hunters back through hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, find me a generation that doesn't have hunting in it. It's... It's part of, it's who I am. It, it's just who I am. I feel a, a real sense of responsibility and uh, duty to do my part towards removing invasive species and therefore, you know, you're helping our natives, you know? You know, we used to have two species of bilby, I found out the other week. Did you know we used to have two different species of bilby? No, I didn't know. No, the other <laughs> one's gone now. It was declared extinct about 50 years ago because of um, cats and foxes. I only ever thought we had one species of bilby. But, I mean, yeah, I hunt for all those reasons. And just enjoying something doesn't make it wrong. Exactly. No, 
No, actually, good stuff. It's, I mean, it's good. There's no right or wrong answer for that sort of stuff, you know, like what, yeah, why we do it, why we enjoy it. It's good to hear different people's opinions because that's what this, you know, segment or this part of the show of interviewing people that like to get out there, you know, it's great to hear different opinions. It actually makes me think about, you know, uh, different opinions, thoughts, uh, yeah. persuasions, whatever, why they enjoy it. And actually, I, I sort of, you know, when we sort of always finish the show, I always sort of think about what people said and when I listen back to it. And uh, it's quite enjoyable to see what people are doing. It's different for everyone. That's what makes it fantastic. It is. It is indeed. But this probably does segue a little bit in the next question, or I think a lot, actually. Do you think, <laughs> I mean, it's a, a lot of people, I've noticed a lot of people, and I've had conversations with people say, you know, hunting is not a sport. Uh, shooting is not a sport. You know, it's a culture, a means of getting food. Uh, I guess, how would you describe it? I mean, we probably did go in a little bit before into the previous question, but how would you describe it as well? Look, personally, I don't see hunting as a sport. Do I enjoy it? Yes. Is it physically demanding? Yes. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a sport just because it's physical and it's enjoyable. Um, for me, I see target shooting and things like that as a sport. But for me, it's hunting isn't a sport. It's it's part of me. It's it's my life. It's part of who I am. You know, it's um it's making my dad proud. No, I'm still a daddy's girl at heart, and I want him to be proud of me. You know, I love it when I stick a photo up on Facebook of something that I've gone out and hunted, and you know, he puts up a comment saying, "You know, that's my girl." You know, it's it's part of who I am. It's it's that that generation to generation to generation passing it on down. It's it's important. Exactly, good point. Uh, you know, when we were talking about before, you've had people that you know it's come up in conversation. Um, has, has someone ever probed you for more information? And if so, how have you explained to someone that's, you know, say never hunted before, you know, shot or fished or, you know, I mean, obviously in Port Macquarie, you couldn't live up there without doing a bit of fishing. But, you know, <laughs> let's say someone that's never really done it, they never really get out to hunt, shoot or fish before. How can you make them understand why you love this lifestyle so much? You've really got to judge the person who's asking the question because it's really going to depend on whether they're actually willing to listen. Um, if they are actually willing to listen, I'll talk to them about the advantages of getting away with the kids and really engaging with them, you know, real quality time with no Wi-Fi and no Foxtel and you know, the fun of being out there with campfires and marshmallows and having to put glow sticks on your two-year-old so you can find him at night time when he takes off and, you know, the complete peacefulness when you crank back the reclining camp chair and, you know, you've got pride if you're combining that camping with, with hunting. You know, you've got that sense of pride when you've successfully harvested an animal that you know is going to feed people. You know, you've got honour in watching these animals out in the wild where they're, you know, just completely free and natural. Um, you know, you've got the mad camp kitchens and so you can get them on stuff that's more just getting them out into nature and not necessarily being quite too full on in the hunting aspect of it and just sort of gently bring that into it so because if they're they're already closed-minded all they're going to hear you say is blah 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 I like to go out and shoot stuff blah 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 no matter what you say that's all they are going to hear so with those sorts of people I just go well it's my decision and I enjoy it and I'm completely legal and ethical so you know you can explain until you're blue in the face but the best way to get people to understand is to show them if you think they're open to it show them 
get them out there, invite them to come out with you on a fish, you know, invite them out camping for the weekend during the holidays or something, you know, have a family trip, you know, if, judge the person obviously, but you know, invite them to come out on a hunting trip with you and follow along, you know, just judge each person and just be willing to maybe open up your life a little bit to them. Yep. I know there's a, a, a bunch of, there's a lot of state forests, and we know New South Wales uh, public land hunting's been suspended at the moment, hopefully coming back <laughs> in February. But yep. let's say what positives and benefits uh, of hunting and shooting do you think have contributed to, you know, the hunting of feral animals? You know, I would say either, even though my question was uh, public land, but also private land as well. Yep. Yeah, look, you, you can find a study or a document to prove or disprove whatever side of the fence that you're on regarding recreational hunting or ground shooting. If you're determined to find something that proves your personal opinion, you're going to find something. But um, really the numbers speak for themselves. Um, in the recent, the most recent Game Council report, you know, there were almost 800,000 game and feral animals removed from private property. And that's just the ones that were reported through Game Council licence holders. So imagine how much it really would be if every farmer rang up and lodged, no, I shot a fox tonight. It would be massive numbers that are controlled by ground shooting. Um, you know, for state forests, I believe the number was around 15,000. That's, that's significant. They can't say that that's not significant. Anything that can be done to reduce the need for 1080 a cruel death is a win in my book. Anything that reduces any animal having to die by 1080 is, is a win. It's got to be. You know, and if, if I'm on public land, I always aim to leave the area looking better than when we arrived. You know, whether that means you know, doing track maintenance, moving logs off tracks and stuff, you know, taking rubbish out with us that's not even ours, you know, we do it. You know, on private property, we we help with building maintenance. You know, yes, we are doing them a service by being there, and they're very grateful for that. But you know, it's got to be a bit of give and take as well. You know, you know, private when we're on private land, quite often we're staying out on old sharers' quarters, and the you know the property owners don't have a lot of time to go and spend out on those places. So you know, last one we were out at, we fixed up the water tanks and we put new fly mesh on all the windows and stuff like that. And, you know, we let them know that that stuff was going on in different areas of the property. And, and I see that as, as all a benefit from recreational hunters that are out there on public and private land. And then, then you've got the economic benefits to the area. You know, the economic benefits I really think are, you know, horrendously underestimated. Yeah, no, I think you're right because yeah. the, the funny thing you always find, and I guess some of never thought about it like this, you get the, the Greens Party, even the RSPCA is on board now, the Invasive yeah. Species Council, they say, yeah. oh, hunting doesn't work. But then you have to look at the facts behind the people making these statements. I mean, in public yeah. land hunting over the entire period, that you know, hunters removed over 1.2 million. In my opinion, that's a lot better than zero. Now, if you look, if you look at the Greens, you know they removed zero. The RSPCA, they removed zero. The Inspacy Species Council, they removed zero. The National Parks Association, they removed zero. So, but a lot of these agencies agencies say, well, we only advocate. Well. You know, you know, I, I find it quite embarrassing, actually, that people making the statement say that it doesn't work have never removed one single feral animal from public or private land in the whole life of their institution or their life themselves. 
So I find it quite laughable when they say it doesn't work. Well, it's a lot more than someone else is doing. Put it a lot more than they're doing. Put it that way, you know. Absolutely, and you know we're not just—it's not just the native animals that we're benefiting. You know, the economic impact benefits. You know, those small regional towns that you know they're really hurting. You know, the the um, I looked into some figures just in preparation for this on the economic benefit and. The, the average hunter spends around five thousand dollars every twelve months on their hunting hunting pursuits, you know, five thousand dollars. Yeah, and just for New South Wales through the our licensed hunters, that worked out to over fifty five million dollars being spent. That's right. Now that's gear, food, fuel, tires, you know, we blew tires on, on our way out to the last hunting trip and had to buy some in a town that we weren't even intending on stopping in. So you know, all sorts of your your purchases at little stores along the way, you know. It was just a few months back. I was talking to a um, store owner of you know general outdoor goods, you know army surplus sort of store, and I was talking to him, and he was really hurting since state forests had been closed down. He estimated that his sales had gone down seventy percent. You know. Yes. And I went back there the other week, and he's gone. Wow. He's gone. You know, it's, and you know he wasn't even a hunter, but it's hurt him. Yeah. You know, the economic benefits, you know, people losing their jobs that aren't even hunters themselves, Yeah, that's not being taken into account. Yeah, that's why I say people get on to the ministers, keep writing them letters, you know. I mean, as Absolutely. I said, I'm not a lot of people. I think I'm, I just wrote two more yesterday and I've just written, yep. uh, sorry, written, sorry, written. <laughs> I've just written two more <laughs> again to Michael Gallagher this week about range closures, you know, how yep. much money's going into the firearms registry, what is it a day, what's the daily amount, what's the yearly. Mate, you've got to keep these people on their toes and, you know, oh, if, sure. they're, if they're going to waste our time of suspending state land hunting, then I'm going to waste their time by having to deal with my letters on a constant basis. And, Absolutely. you know, that's what people need to do. If they don't get a response yep. you write back i haven't received a response and if they do get a generic response like a like i received and a lot of my friends received you write back again and you yeah you say i'm not happy you've given me a generic response please answer the questions as discussed in my previous correspondence or as i've you know, labeled my previous correspondence but people often get the first one and they go oh that's a generic response. Oh, that's it. I'm giving up now. You never give up. You just keep going and going. That's what yep. I've been doing. And as I said to a lot of people I spoke to the other day, I'm starting to get responses now from Hodgkinson's office, where it's the you know Tim Scott, the chief her chief of staff. So, you know, if you keep if you keep on it, you start moving your way to the top. And then you know, you, if you get a thousand letters, people have got to archive that on their paperless system. They've got to scan that in. They've got to assign it some type of correspondence uh, number so it can be looked back at a later date. You know, this takes time and now, a thousand letters is a lot for the, their officers to actually take care of. Absolutely. So absolutely. That gets We've on got to the, keep on to it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the next question, I said, what was, what was your take on there when you first heard about, um, you know, the government decision to suspend public land hunting? What did you think? I mean, sorry, I, I didn't see before with you actually. Uh, do you ever hunt on public land? Are you a game council member? Not? Or, yes. Yep. Yes, so I've, got my, um, I've got my game council licence. I've got my R licence. Um, it, re- it really was a complete overreaction, wasn't it? I mean, I read the Dunn report quite a few times. It was a complete overreaction. I mean, yes, it contained constructive criticism. Any report on any group is going to have constructive criticism simply because there's always room for improvement. No matter who you are, there's always something else that can be done. Always something else that can be done. But what really annoyed me about it all was that not only did they just cease hunting in state forests, it was done so quickly 
with no real warning, and but there were no measures put in place to replace the efforts of volunteer hunters while this was all sorted out. So the only winners in this were the feral population, which has just continued to eat and breed, eat and breed, eat and breed. There were no temporary measures put in place while they sorted this out, none at all, just a lock us all out and leave it mentality, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, I was actually booked to go in for a hunt that day. <laughs> Couldn't go. <laughs> but I've heard of guys who were out in the middle of nowhere when this all went down, you know, midway through a hunt, no cell phone reception and not wanting any cell phone reception you know i love it when i go out for a hunt and i'm like woo, no service <laughs> yeah yeah so you know their partners had to go out and go drive out and find them and sit at camp until they came back home and get back home to camp for the night and say we've got to pack up and leave your licenses are invalid yeah i know yeah, it's rough you put a lot of time and effort and excitement into waiting that was that was pretty rough Absolutely, and you know the Liberal government not a care in the world. And I always say, people that know me know I'm a, I'm definitely not a fan of the Liberal government in any form. <laughs> you know, after no. you know, uh, you know, it was '96, the buyback, <laughs> 2002, the uh, you know, uh, above Still 38 bad. caliber pistols. You know, then we've got the ammunition bill from the Farrell government. Uh, we've also got um, uh, yeah, this suspension of state land hunting. We've seen a massive increase by the Liberals in WA for licence fees. I mean, and people are still voting for Liberals. And if people listen to this show, why on earth are you voting for Liberals? I just can't, I can't fathom it. And I know for some people, they've got businesses and maybe their businesses thrive better under a Liberal government. And I'm not going to deny that it does or it doesn't. But I just can't understand why people, you know, that you know, this is one of their main sports. This is what they love to do. And they still continue to vote for gun grabbers. I just... I, it blows my mind constantly. It really does. Yep, absolutely it does. If you're going to vote, at least make an educated vote. Yeah. But anyway, let's go. the next question is pretty good. It goes on to that, actually. What can hunters and shooters and fishermen do, do you think, to protect their sport in Australia? Stick together. Good that's, one. That's the main point. We have got to stick together. Stop fighting each other. Stop fighting each other. You know, there's, we've got enough people against us without us fighting against each other or trying to save ourselves and chucking each other under the bus. We have got to stick together. You know, get involved, whether that's joining SSP, the Shooters and Fishers Party or the SSAA. Um, you know, I'm a member of the Shooters and Fishers Party and like we mentioned earlier, I've just launched the women's branch of the, the Shooters and Fishers Party. So I'd be absolutely stoked to get some of your listeners look linked in with that. That'd be great. Um, I'm really excited about it, if you can't tell. Um, yeah, get on the committee at your local club. Help out at the range. Just talk to people about what you do in normal conversation because it is a normal thing to do. Um, hand out information at polling booths. Volunteer to be one of those people at a polling booth. Yeah. We're, we're a hat out and about with a logo of whatever it is you're into, whether that be you know a, a Shooters and Fishers Party hat or a, or a fishing rod hat or a hat with a pig you know one of those boar hunter ones on it you know there's so many different hats out there with different hunting and shooting and fishing and archery logos on them wear them out and about and see how many conversations you can start share these podcasts hit the share button on the australian hunting podcast that's it share them on twitter and facebook get them around 
and set the privacy setting to public so everyone sees yeah, it. I hate that when I'm on Facebook and I'm sharing someone's thing to my podcast pages. I can't do it because they haven't got it public. Everyone, yeah. send it to public. <laughs> Set it to public. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Another thing you can do is um, cook food that you've caught yourself next time you have dinner to dinner guests and tell them what you fed them. I don't tell them normally till afterwards. <laughs> yeah, about halfway through when they say, oh, this is really nice. What is it? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, a big one, though, would be passing the information down. You've got to get that generation to generation to generation. You teach your kids. Teach the neighbours' kids. Teach any kids that happen to wander near your house. Just get the information out there. Just teach them. Good stuff. I think you're going to be positive, Melissa, for the uh, you know the Shooters and Fishers <laughs> Party's women's branch. I can I think so. I think you're going to do really well at it. I hope so. I'm excited for it. Absolutely. All right, we've got our. It's, well, not really a new segment. I did change it. For, it was five questions in five minutes, but I thought you know this is way too long. Right, so I changed it to five seconds. Oh, sorry, five seconds. Five questions in under a minute. Are you willing to take the challenge? All righty. Some of the questions we did ask before, but there's a few whys in here. So what I'm going to do, as soon as I, I'm going to hit the uh, start button on my little uh, phone here, my stopwatch. Okay. See how you go. So we'll start with the first question. And as soon as you finish with the last one, I'll uh, stop it. So uh, we'll go in three, two, one, go. All right. What was it about uh, hunting you enjoy so much and why? I love being out in the bush. I love that it's a real connection to all of my relatives that have gone before me and I can't wait to see it pass down in the other direction from me and onwards. All right, favourite game species to hunt and why? Deer. It's what I grew up with right before I could even have the strength to hold a rifle. It's memories of my dad. It's everything. Yeah, your proudest moment or experience you've had while being a hunter and what was it? Oh, probably when my daughter actually said, good job, mummy. Yeah. All right. Yep. If you could hunt anywhere in the world, what would you? What species would you hunt, and where would it be, and why? <laughs> Somewhere I've already been. I would love to go back and hunt deer in the Wairarapa again, and because I love it so much. Yep. F- uh, favorite firearm you own, and what? What is it, and what? And why? My favorite firearm that I own is my Winchester 69A. It's a 22 caliber, and I love it so much because I love Winchester. It's got a gorgeous wood stock, and it's old. I love history. All right, I've got to lay some bad news on you. You've absolutely failed at one minute and three seconds. So, <laughs> but you know, hey, that's what it's all about, having a bit of fun. So, a minute yep. and three seconds. So, no, nice job. Some good questions there. Um, I guess uh, to finish off, tell us a story. You know, maybe something could be a you know, profession, uh, professional or a personal uh, achievement or something, and maybe a good day out on the deer. Maybe it can be anything you like. Um, something that you know you fondly look back on in, a, in an awesome day in Melissa's life. Oh, crikey! Um, probably the the one that sticks in my head is actually one of those one of those ones that got away stories. Yeah, love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, um, it was actually on the pig hunting trip that I went out on. It was the first pig hunt I'd ever been on, so I was super super excited. And we were I was walking along. And um, I was looking across over a small uh, stream and I saw this pig, only a smallish sized pig, just trotting across the river and it hadn't seen me so I, I sort of moved across as quietly as I could and I sat down against the tree with my binos and just to have a look because you know, it was quite clear that it hadn't seen me. So, And the river wasn't that far across that I could probably, that I would have been able to take a shot and just wade across the river to go get it. So I sat down on the tree and 
you know, a couple of minutes later, I, I saw another smaller one go past. So I was pretty excited. You know, the heart was thumping by that stage. I'm like, I've seen pigs, I've seen pigs. And um, I heard these footsteps behind me. I was out with a hunting mate, and I heard these footsteps behind me. So I was slowly turning my head around to tell my hunting mate that I'd seen two pigs over there and well, they hadn't seen us which was, I thought was pretty good. And I turned my head, and that's not my hunting mate. <laughs> no, about two metres away from me is a fairly decent-sized black pig. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. yeah. I bet that would have scared the hell out of you. <laughs> and, oh, my gosh, he looks at me, and I'm looking at him, and it was like this Mexican standoff thing, and we're just sort of staring at each other going, is that what I think it is? Oh my gosh, yes, that's what I think of it. It is. It's a hunter. It's a pig. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, and it's a fairly well-hunted property that we're on, so they were fairly skittish. Uh, so yeah, I'm, we just sort of did this Mexican stare off at each other and I slowly reached down for, for the rifle and he just bolts. He just bolts off behind me and I couldn't turn around because I was facing the wrong way, so I finally stood up and I could see him but I couldn't see my hunting partner. So <laughs> I'm like, I can't take a shot because I don't know where my hunting partner is. I couldn't tell where he was at all. So I yell out to him, there's a pig coming. <laughs> yeah. And then, so he stands up and bolts back into another direction and then the pig takes off in a completely different direction back towards me. So he can't take a shot because I'm in the way and we just lost it. It just disappeared. So now I'm just left sitting there going, you know, all these different scenarios in my head going, I should have just stayed still and let it trot down to the river's edge. I had these grand illusions so you know, I'd, I'd wait till it got to the water's edge and I'd, I'd dive it and grab it by its back legs and be this hardcore pig hunter that tackled her first pig. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was just uh. totally the one that got away. So. It's, it's a funny story, but yeah, I'll um, more experience next time. That's right. But you know, <laughs> hey, if, it's, if you got every pig you went out for, it wouldn't be caught hunting now, would it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the, joy, that's the joys of it, I think. But uh, yep. uh, finishing off, uh, if people wanted to uh, get in contact you, yeah, they want to, you know, never know, someone in Port Macquarie could listen to this podcast and think, you know what, I'm going to speak to Melissa Robinson. I want to, you know, join the women's, uh, the SFP, the women's branch. Um, is it only for, good question, is it only for women up there or is it encompassing everybody and who can join and how can they contact you? Anybody One, can join the women's branch. If you want to join the women's branch, Jason, you are more than welcome. Yeah. I will sort that out for you, not a problem. <laughs> we are happy. We are absolutely happy to have women in the women's branch. We are happy to have supporters of women in the women's branch. We're just happy to have anybody on board. Yeah, if they want to contact, is there an email or phone number? How do they contact? Yep, you can get me through the Facebook page, the Shooters and Fishers Party Women's Branch, fairly easy to find. Yep. Or you can email me at mrobinson at ssp.org.au. Perfect. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, it was great having you on, especially, you know, I've, I feel like I've, you know, somewhat neglected women, you know, in, in this show, and I, and, I, and I don't intentionally mean it to be that way. As you've said, you know, there's a lot more, you know, there's a lot more men, and unfortunately, it's not that I got any better advice, it's just that unfortunately it's dominated by men, so I thought I really wanted to tackle for the everyday hunter women 
uh, that you know hunt, shoot, and love to fish. Also, and obviously, you know, we I've seen on Facebook and you know the things you post up, and I've seen you getting interested in SFP and the, getting the women's branch up yep. and running, which I think is hugely important. And you know, it's good. It breaks those stereotypes. When I say I'm a hunter, I'm six foot two. You know, I'm tall and solid. You know, people just think, oh, well, yeah. You know, that's just <laughs> that's just a gimme. Whereas you know, when you know women are short, smaller. You know, as you said, petite. You know, they don't expect people to be a hunter. I like to see those stereotypes get broken. And, oh, I uh, love doing it. I take great pleasure in smashing those stereotypes down. Anyone <laughs> that knows me knows that. <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And I hope, you know, the, the women's branch of the SFP goes well. Hopefully more people can get educated on hunting and shooting and fishing and enjoy this fantastic sport. Or oh, should say sport, multiple sports, hobbies, culture, yep. uh, lifestyle, whatever we want to call it, whatever it means to each individual person. So thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been really enjoyable. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. Thank you for the opportunity. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.